Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Bergen, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Brad Thor. Brad is the number one New York Times bestselling author of 22 thrillers, including Black Ice, Near Dark, Backlash, Spymaster, The Last Patriot, and Blowback. Brad has appeared on every major news channel to share the parallels between his novels around terrorism and international espionage and the real threats facing the world today. Please visit Brad's website at bradthor.com and follow him on Facebook at facebook.com slash bradthorofficial and on Twitter at bradthor. Brad, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you, Fred. It's a pleasure to be back with you again. My goodness, Brad, every time I read one of your thrillers, I keep thinking to myself, how are you going to top the next one? Well, as long as I can have your help, Fred, like you did with this book, I'll keep reaching for big storylines. I I just want to be clear for the audience right in front. Uh, I had a lot of fun putting this together, but I had a real problem with putting my uh, protagonist in India, having to investigate the death of uh, an American diplomat. And I reached out to Fred, and Fred was very helpful in explaining to me a particular position that exists at our embassies called a Foreign Service National slash Investigator, kind of an old retired cop who's well plugged in that can help uh, navigate the uh, the police network of the host country. So, Fred, all the early readers have been raving about my uh, character, who's the uh, Foreign Service National Investigator. So I want to thank you just right up front, because without you, I don't think I would have come up with uh, with that. So many, many thanks. Thanks, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Uh, It's the least I could do, Brad. You've been uh, so good to me over the years and so forth. And let's cut to the chase with Rising Tiger. The plot line to me was just phenomenal. Well, it's uh, I have this idea. I've had this idea uh, watching particularly what's happened in Ukraine of what would it be like if the United States wanted to create an Asian version of NATO? We've got this relationship called the Quad, that's the US, India, Japan, and Australia. And I thought, what if we wanted to do this Asian NATO, put India at the center of it? We're the oldest democracy in the world. They're the largest, and they're a natural partner for us uh, in Asia. Uh, And so it made a lot of sense. And I thought, well, the people that would want to put a stop to this, by all means necessary, would be the Chinese. And two years ago, the Chinese did an incursion into India, just an absolutely brutal incursion uh, in the Himalayas. A lot of Indian soldiers died. And I thought that'll be a great jumping off point. Uh, We'll ratchet up the tension with this kind of strategic military alliance. And then we'll just have fun romping through India, particularly Jaipur, then New Delhi, which is a hotbed of espionage. Uh, and, and create a really cool spy thriller against this backdrop, which I had not seen anybody else do. 
Well, you always seem to be one step ahead of the geopolitics of the world. Uh, how do you go about doing that, Brad? I'm a voracious consumer of news, much to my wife and my children's <laughs> chagrin. I've always got you know the TV on, the computer on, the phone going. And um, I look at things happening around the world and say, what if? What if it, you know, what if we really didn't win the Cold War? What if Russia had rolled over and just kind of played dead so they could uh, turn turn their sights inward and start working on different weapon systems and things like that? I've uh, even down to I did a book a couple of summers ago, a thriller called Spymaster, that was based on a Rand Corporation study about how no matter how many times they've wargamed it, anytime Russia tried to take one of the Baltic NATO states, uh, they succeeded. So. I'm always looking at these things going, oh, that's fascinating. That'd be really cool for a spy thriller. And I pride myself on being ahead of my competition, of being ahead of the headlines in putting plots and things out there that are about to happen on uh, on the global stage, but haven't happened yet. So it's, it, it's fun. And I think my readers, not only because of the short, crisp cinematic, cinematic chapters that I do, but because of the material, they get a fun read. But you also close a Brad Thor book, having learned a little bit more about what's happening in the world and, and what's very likely headed down the pike. Well, and I think one of the key takeaways from uh, all of your books, Brad, is they really are standalone books that you can pick up and read. Yeah, thank you. I, I tell people that it's like the James Bond movies, that if you've never seen a Bond film, doesn't matter. You can go see the latest one in the theaters and you're good. Same thing with my books. If you've never read a Brad Thor book, I've been doing this for a couple of decades. If you if you haven't read one, no problem. Go pick up Rising Tiger, the new one. Uh, and you can still go back to the very beginning of the series if you want to with the Lions of Lucerne. And I write my books so that they're evergreen, so that even 20 years on, you can read a Brad Thor book and it's still going to be exciting and it's going to feel very current uh, and it's not going to feel out of date. Brad, I was looking over the advanced copy that I got and uh, one thing that really, really resonated with me and I must say, I would love to know your thoughts to this. You have 15 million books in print, 15 million. Did you ever think that you would be here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. James Patterson wrote a book with uh, former President Bill Clinton a couple of years ago. And uh, I came out same day that that book came out. And I was <laughs> number two on the New York Times list. And Patterson and Clinton were number one. And I was I had the champagne on ice and I was not happy <laughs> to have been beaten. And uh, somebody that works with me, a wonderful woman named Yvonne Ralski, Yvonne said to me, she said, listen, you go and open up that champagne right now, because if I was able to travel back in time to when you were a creative writing student at the University of Southern California, and I told you one day you would be competing with James Patterson and a former president of the United States for the number one slot on the New York <laughs> Times list, how would you feel? Would you want to pop the champagne, if you, even if you got number two? And I said, yeah. So I'm highly competitive. That's just part of my my nature. Um uh, my dad uh, is no longer active Marine. My mom, uh, who passed away uh, last fall, uh, was a flight attendant. And we were raised as kids to never rest on our laurels. And it didn't matter what job you were. If you were pushing a broom, you'd be the best broom pusher that there is. And you go into work each day as if it's your first day on the job, meaning you want to perform very well. 
and never forget that it could be your last day on the job if you don't perform well. And it, it stuns a lot of people when I say this, but I don't work for my publisher. I don't work for Simon & Schuster. I work for the readers. The readers are my employers. So I want to keep those readers happy. So it's part of my uh, you know, Midwestern work ethic. The way I was raised is to constantly push myself to get better. So I want to have better, more exciting plots. I, I call what I do faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. And my kind of internal shorthand, my joke in my office uh, over the last year when I was writing Rising Tiger was, I want to put the action in the faction. I wanted lots and lots of action, um, which I did in the book. But it was probably one of the hardest books I've ever written because I was taking my protagonist, Scott Harvath, to a part of the world he'd never been to, in which I had never been to. So I've always got this rule, which is if I can't go to a location to research it, uh, in this case, it was India and parts of the Himalayas, I wanted to talk to people who had been there, particularly people who had to operate there, whether it was a, in a law enforcement or intelligence capacity or a special operations capacity. Because as you know, having traveled around the world, Fred, in, uh, in your career, it's the details that matter. It's the details that are going to tell you that something's wrong, that something's off. So I really enjoy talking to people who have operated in the locations I write about because they will give me, I'll give you an example, uh, real neat color details that make the book great. In fact, I had a, I had a guy, a Green Beret, that I talked to, and he had done some work in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I was setting a book there, a Code of Conduct, several years ago. And I got introduced to him, and he said, okay, what kind of details are you looking for? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, okay, Thor, this is going to be a short phone call if you can't give me any guidance. And I said, okay, uh, how about this? Uh, and I just reached for the first thing that popped into my head. I said, does everybody in that part of Africa ride the same bike? And this guy was silent. I was like, why is he so silent? He goes, I can't believe you asked me that. I'm like, why? He said, they all do ride the same kind of bike. The bikes are all black and they call them a mamba. And I said, why do they call it a mamba? And he said, because the roads are all dirt here in the tires on this bike. When you go, when they go down the dirt roads, it leaves what looks like the tracks of a mamba, of the snake. And, and so I put that into my book and I heard from people that had done like mission work and relief stuff in that part of Africa and said, oh, you must have been to the Democratic Republic of Congo because only if you'd been here would you know about the, the Black Mamba bikes. And so that's the, that's the kind of stuff that I like to do. And I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, my children's godfather, who's at the State Department, had been based uh, or had, had done a tour at the uh, U.S. Embassy in New Delhi. So uh, with the help I got from folks like you, Fred, and from the, the kid's godfather, I really had a lot of great um, diplomatic stuff that could be woven into this fun action spy tale that I think just elevate the uh, 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 the story uh, because you're you're getting to see inside these worlds, which is a lot of fun. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontex Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, 
check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. I'm speaking with Brad Thor about his upcoming thriller, Rising Tiger, which I've had the privilege to read. And Brad, uh, your attention to detail in this story is uh, simply amazing, not only with uh, the work of the Foreign Service National Investigator, but the other operatives that are highlighted in the story is just phenomenal. Now, think about Scott Harvath for a minute. Here we are, what, 22 years downstream with Scott? Do you ever see a day without Harvath pulling a trigger? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I know some guys that are about his age that are still going out and doing stuff. And in fact, one of the things that uh, I've talked about uh, in a couple of the books is there happens to be the special operations community realized this is real life stuff, that a lot of the injuries that are uh, tip of the spear, kind of tier one guys, as well as other people, not not only tier one tip of the spear guys, but a lot of people in the special operations community were getting injuries that were similar to high level athletes. So guys in the NBA and the NFL, and they started really looking at sports medicine for how to rehab our guys and uh, in the special operations community. And I knew a bunch of guys that were doing what in any professional sport would be banned substances. So performance enhancing stuff, whether it's steroids or other things. And I'm like, so there's no prohibition. <laughs> These guys are like, whatever it takes to win, Brad. You go, Do you think we got some sort of Geneva and Hague uh, banned substances, <laughs> uh, you know, agreement with Al Qaeda or ISIS that uh, I'm not allowed to do steroids because it gives me an unfair advantage against, you know, one of these guys? No, we do what we need to do to to uh, not only to to be exceptional at the job, but a lot of these guys have, you know, back problems, knee problems, shoulder problems, and they're doing whatever they can. They're not reporting that up the chain of command. They don't want their superiors to know because they don't want to get yanked. They they really believe in the mission and they don't want to leave their teams and they don't want to leave the field. So a lot of them are doing whatever they can. So I have Harvath doing that. Uh, in fact, uh, in my book, Spymaster, I, I really introduced uh, a couple of years ago that Harvath was starting to do all these injectables and things like that. And he was running down a Russian intelligence officer in a park in Kaliningrad. And he was really feeling good because he knew he was going to catch the guy because he'd shaved all this time off his mile and he'd added some more lean muscle mass. And in his mind, he was kind of patting himself on the back as he's chasing this Russian. And one of the young kids on his team drives by in their vehicle and takes the Russian guy out by tapping him with the bumper of the car, which Harvath could have easily hopped in the car. You know, you you look for a little bit of this, uh, what is it, wisdom and experience, uh, you know, that, that they, we joke that that's always better than, than kind of youthfulness and, uh, uh, and strength. And Harvath should have done the same thing, but it was a young team member that's like, why would you chase the guy? Just get in the car and run him down. <laughs> So it's kind of kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, at some point that might happen to Harvath. But as long as I know guys that are still legitimately rolling out in their forties and kicking indoors and shooting bad guys in the face, it's like I think he's got some time left to do this. But he does he does wrestle with the stuff, and you've seen that in 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 the books, Fred. That like even in even in Rising Tiger, one of the first things he does because he's coming out of another operation and he hits the the hotel, 
is he's got to fill the bathtub up with ice. And this guy needs a long, good ice bath. Uh, so, so it takes him a little bit longer to bounce back, but I actually think that that's, that's appealing. It makes him even more human. He's not one of the Avengers. Do you see, Brad, uh, similar to like what Michael Conley has done with his Bosch series, like stepping over into other kinds of stories? Or is Harvath your guy and you're going to stick with him until he can no longer get in the saddle? Well, so it's funny. So I'm uh, Rising Tiger is the first book of a new four book contract with Simon and Schuster. So the contract calls for four Scott Harvath books. So that's what they want is Scott Harvath books. But I also did even under a Scott Harvath book several years ago. I wrote a book during that time uh, and I was able to sub it in for a Harvath book. I wrote two books in one year. That's the thing. They want a Harvath book every year. So if I did something else, I would have to figure out how do I write two books in a year, which I've done before when I did my uh, Athena project book about an all-female Delta Force team. So there are other characters I'd like to write about. There are other, uh, even things kind of within this realm. If there's anything I've learned from watching successful people, it's that you have to be very careful when you, if you want to pivot, that it's not too dramatic a pivot. You can't, you can't have a great steakhouse and have always loved ice cream and expect that if you leave your steakhouse business to go open an ice cream shop, that it'll be just as successful. You've built that business by selling people baked potatoes and steak and, you know, a great wine list. It doesn't necessarily translate that all those diners are going to want to come over to your ice cream shop. So, um, you know, you're not going to see me doing under the Tuscan sun unless there's a lot of <laughs> car chases and gunfights and intrigue involved. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I think every I read a great uh, book and I, I found it in my library and I have no idea how it got there. And it's called The Seasons of a Man's Life. And it is nonfiction. And I actually had a neighbor when I lived in Utah who's a psychologist. And I said, did you give me this book and expect me to read it? He said, I never heard of it. Um, but it was a big bestseller and it studied men. Uh, going into their 40s, going into their 50s, into their 60s, and into their 70s, just these different stages of life. And what they were expecting, uh, what they kind of shared in common, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. And they broke the men down into different categories of, of professions. So you had you know, doctors and lawyers and blah, 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 and uh, you know school teachers. But one of the groups was author. And it was funny because as they tracked the author group and asked, came back annually or every couple of years and asked them what they were up to and what their hopes and aspirations were, one of the big things was uh, the authors would reply, I'm hoping that this book is the one that really breaks through and not only has tremendous commercial success, but also has tremendous critical acclaim. Kind of, there's this thing with authors where they want to be recognized for not only being good authors, but good authors that can sell a book that everybody wants to buy and read. So, I may harbor passions of of, of writing some kind of great, you know, movable feast or the sun also rises, something like that. But it would be silly for me to pivot too far off. And so, you brought up Conley and in, in Bosch, and it, so Conley also did Lincoln Lawyer, correct? Right. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I know I've spent a couple of decades building a base of knowledge in kind of special operations and intelligence and uh, a certain amount of the diplomatic world. So that's probably where I'm, I'd be smart to stay. 
so would I like to do some of that stuff? I think, yeah, I would. I thought COVID was going to give me all this extra time, you know, when we were in lockdown and I'd write three or four books in a year. It doesn't change. Because I keep raising the bar for myself with my uh, Scott Harvath book every year, my job has not gotten easier. Uh, This is 22 books I've now written, uh, 21 in the Harvath series. And you would think it would get easier. But if you're raising the bar every time, it's like that old Greek tale about the uh, the young man that starts lifting a calf, and I forget who it is, and it might not, it might be even one of the demigods, I can't remember. But it, there's the story about he lifts a calf every single day, and the calf gets a little bit bigger and starts growing into a cow. But he, it, it, this could even be a tale about Hercules. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. Uh, I'm such a Philhellene, and now I'm I'm botching this great Greek story. But he lifts the animal every day, and as the animal gets bigger, he, he increases his capability to lift the animal, so that by the time it's this huge cow, it's a big muscle-bound guy, and he can lift it off the ground. Um, so for me, the books get harder every year because I'm raising the bar for myself. I want to tell a tale I haven't told before, uh, and tell it in a way so that I'm not repeating any of the action I do or the intrigue and compounding all this is the fact that, you know, we, you and I, and everybody else makes the joke that Christmas comes earlier in the stores every year. Right. Right. So, uh, now what we're seeing in the book world is, is barely do you have a new book out that all the retailers want the title the artwork in the story of your next book. So you barely get a chance to breathe before they want to put up and start taking pre-orders for next year's book. You barely have one in the marketplace. So uh, you, I constantly am, back to as we talked in the beginning, I'm constantly watching the news. I'm constantly looking for things that kind of catch my attention. Uh, and I, I put them, I, I have clippings. So I have folders with all different kinds of clippings and things like that of what I'm interested in and where I want to go and who the big bad guys might be. But the world, wow, this whole past year with Russia going into Ukraine and all that kind of stuff, and is China going to go into Taiwan? I have to be very careful. I never wrote about Osama bin Laden for a reason. I knew eventually he was going to be caught or killed. And I didn't want a book where you knew the ending before you even started because Bin Laden didn't make it. So that's that a rapidly changing world is exciting for me as an author, but also makes my job even more challenging as to how I weave a tale that's still going to be good 10 years from now. Well, I must say, my friend, you have hit a home run with Rising Tiger that's scheduled to be published on July 5th. Brad, is there anything that you would like to say that we haven't asked you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Boy, my wife would tell you that's a dangerous question. I go, uh, we, we joke around in my house that like the 12 step program for loved ones of alcoholics, Al-Anon, that there should be one for me and it would just be called on and on and on (laughs) for all the talking. Um, you know, it's, I'm very, very proud of this book. If anybody listening has not read a Brad Thor book, I really recommend starting with rising tiger and I'll tell you why. Um, so we're recording this in June of 2022. And uh, on June 15th, two years ago, is when the Chinese crossed what's called the line of actual control, the border region in the Himalayas, and came down and slaughtered all these Indian soldiers, which is this big opening action set piece I have in Rising Tiger. So it's actually based on real life stuff happening. Uh, it's, it's, It's wild. I, I think a lot of people are going to read the opening chapter of Rising Tiger and say, oh, my God, this just sounds like it's straight out of a fiction writer's imagination. It actually happened. Uh, and what's really cool is a former national security advisor who's a very good friend of mine 
helped give me uh, some really intense color detail uh, of what went down in the Himalayas that I was able to use for the for the book. So I'm really proud of this one. It, it was a big, like I said, a lot of research went into it. it. It took me out of my comfort zone, took me to a part of the world I'd never been before. But I think setting setting such a lofty goal for myself to to set a thriller in this part of the world where I'd never read one. Uh, I think Kim was the last thing I'd read by Kipling uh, that ever, and that's a long time ago. So uh, I, I'm very proud of this one. And if I have to stake my career on all my books on this one, I'd be very pleased to. I'm, I'm really proud of how it turned out. Well, you should be, Brad. And thank you so much for everything that you have done for me over the years and for mentioning me and the upcoming thriller, Rising Tiger. Thank you, my friend. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.